Welcome to the second series of the podcast, Rewired. Much has happened since series one in the debate around a universal basic income grant in South Africa. In this series, we unpack some of the debates that have developed. We look at the politics behind the scenes, the numbers that people are arguing about, and we invite captains of industry, intellectuals, academics, and activists to put forward the ideas why the basic income grant is the one policy that we need to take us from where we are as a country to where we need to be. Join me, Isabel Fry, on Rewired, the podcast of choice that allows you to be part of the conversation on a basic income grant. Join me, Isabel Fry, with my colleagues Kutsu Makabela and Amahla Nguenya in part two of episode three, as we speak to Ayanda Sishi about radical youth activism and the basic income grant. Kutsu starts the second part with some provocative questions on radicalized youth politics. Okay, so young people are viewed as saboteurs because they are viewed as potential threat to national stability and thus need to be completely um, inco- incorporated into regime ideology in the sense that they led to the demise of apartheid. Um, thus, ca- thus, they can potentially challenge the present system, which, which is post-apartheid system. So do you agree with the statement? And in what, in what way can South African youth challenge the present system? I think that young people, bless our hearts, we are trying we are trying with all our might to do things differently than what our predecessors did. We are, of course, I'm always going to refer back to Fees Must Fall because that is very much an awakening for me um, being at the University of Johannesburg at that time. Seeing young people stand up to power and authority in the manner in which they did because of the fact that our leaders did so before as well in the same manner, but the reaction, you know, was, was very telling tear gas, water in yalas, loss of life. And when we are seen as saboteurs, what that says to me is that power sees the truth and knows that the truth will ultimately shine light onto that power and we need to do everything within our might to stop that. And that is the project of what we are seeing right now with the muzzling of young activists Fees Must Fall was very interesting because what we saw was two, two separate groups come out of that. There was a group that became activists and were now very well aware that if we thought that this current government is on our side, we need to think again. That is not the case. Whereas before Fees Must Fall, we had always seen government as an ally as we have people in there who are speaking on our behalf. After Fees Must Fall, we realized we can no longer have people speak on our behalf. We need to be there to speak on the behalf of us as young black people. 
because what we saw was a complete breakdown of trust that is that was that was fostered by our government in 94 in the curriculum in our school curriculum we learn about the history of, of a bad date. We learn about uh, the people who fought in a bad date um, and how they triumphed. But what was lacking for me until I got to university was the issues that came out of a bad date, which still continue to affect young people to this day, mainly being inequality. We see inequality happen, but we don't quite know how to quite explain it until you get a little bit old and like, ah, that is what I was picking up on. And Fees Must Fall highlighted that greatly. It greatly highlighted that. So then what I witnessed was our government then become scared and say, no, let's pick these ones who were from our political organizations and let's elevate them. So let's divide and conquer like what our predecessors did. Let's divide and let's conquer. So we see a group of people who have risen out of Fismas Fall. They are now in parliament. They are now, you know, in the government, in the provincial legislature and in the national legislature. Those people, we are now saying, you were part of the protest. Are you not going to speak on our behalf? Because the protest that we saw in 2019, I think, the, the latest iteration at Wits. What we saw there, because now the 2015 generation, they've, they've, they've graduated, they've left. And what I saw there versus what I saw in 2015 was vastly different from those who have now been elevated to power are now explaining on behalf of this old generation that no, it has to be like this. We are in these spaces, but we need to wait, you know, until this can happen, or until that can happen. And quite frankly, we've just run out of patience. So when it comes to the national stability and young people being seen as disruptors of that, because now the powers that be are scared. They're noticing that there is a change that is happening within young people's lives, that there is a shift. And we see that in the voting patterns. Young people are not voting. I'm not, I, I don't vote. I'm very adamant on that. I do not vote. There's no single, there's, there's no way I'm going to make sure that I put my ex against somebody who's going to get power to do nothing. Or that person will be given a space to be in, in those spaces where there's power and nothing's going to come of it. There's going to be no direct change. So why am I waking up in the morning to go and put my ex against somebody's head whom I know, whether it's, it's this party or that party or that party, there is going to be no significant change. I can't do that. And I view myself as a privileged person. Now imagine somebody who's not privileged, somebody who's growing up in a village that has not had access to water and electricity since the time the village was even there because our government just could not be bothered, because local government is a mess, because there's so much corruption that is happening. And the young people who are actually trying to change the lives, their lives within their lived environments, are continually being arrested and now assassinated. 
We've seen Abathale Basin Jondolo in KwaZulu Natal and the peril that they are under. The environmental activists in this country that have been killed because you have companies who are coming into villages and trying to get mining rights by fear or by force. We are seeing that and those activists are seen as saboteurs because those who are in power, whose pockets are being lined by the lack of dignity that is in our society, their pockets are being lined because of that lack of dignity. It matters that the country stay like this. It matters. So young people are now being put in a position where we need to fight, whether it be protest, which most of the time are going to turn violent because of this perceived conflict that exists between governments and between young people, which then leads us to being shot at, you know, using tear gas, because now you're disrupting our national security. You're disrupting our national stability. But those who are political principles, no one's saying that they are disrupting our national security, but in fact they are, by making sure that majority of us are without. That is instability in the country. And so there's a narrative that goes around that young people are unappreciative. Appreciative of what? What are we appreciative for? Yes, we have a constitution. We're going to fight for that constitution. Why should we appreciate that we have the right to fight for our constitution? Are you kidding me? This is ridiculous thought. It is ridiculous. But these are, these, these are the situations that young people find themselves in. And so what I love most, though, about Abantabasha, I'm not even going to lie, is our ability, our ability to get right back up. Even though we shouldn't have that ability, young people in this country are so resilient. They are absolutely resilient. Come hell or fire, or in this case because of climate change, water, we will find a way into those rooms. We will find a way into those meetings. And we will always ask politicians, what are you doing? Because that's always my first question. What goes on in those rooms? What are you doing? And call truth to power. There are young people who are literally occupying the union buildings and parliament in order to bring about a just energy transition. And these kids are as young as 11. And they are doing this work. We are out there. The problem is that we are not seen to be out there. The problem is that it helps those who are in power for us to be seen as saboteurs, to be seen as disruptors, rather than to be seen as people who government can work with in order to change this country, especially children. The voices of children are just not heard at all. In our media spaces, in our government spaces, the Gender-Based Violence and Femicide Summit. We saw children being kicked out of that summit. Who is affected most by gender-based violence and femicide? It is young children. Why is the voices of children not being heard? It's because young people are not respected. So this narrative 
that we're there to disrupt, that we don't appreciate national stability, or that we're not appreciative that there were freedom fighters, you know, who, who fought for our democracy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you kindly. But we have a fight to still continue here. And we're going to do that. And we're not going to hear from adults who are not dealing with the things that we are dealing with. That's just a fact of life. But going back to the question of the universal um, income grant, we know that activists have been agitating for this for more than 20 years, going back to the Taylor Report. And yet the ruling party appears deaf to the need for assistance for basic daily needs. You've mentioned that the 350 grant is so little, it's insulting. It's, it's about half the food poverty line, and even that is begrudged. From a political economy perspective, why do you think that government thinks it can ignore so many millions of people, the very people whose liberation they carry in their hands? It's a two-part question. And do you think that this will change with the coming elections and the maturing democratic experience? Or do you think that people, especially young people, as you've articulated, have just given up on electoral politics? Our government is well aware. In my opinion, I think the reason why UBIG is not implemented is because it matters to those whose pockets are being lined for a majority of the country to remain poor and a majority of the country to not have access to the economy. It works for them, for majority of the country to be treated poorly and those who have access to work, those, those few people that have access to work, it also helps for those who are in power to treat them badly as well. That is the way that our economy has worked. I had a talk with uh, FES and, and SPY as well, where I actually spoke about the, the, the history of South Africa's economy, politically speaking. And the history of our economy is exclusion. It's exclusion. It's making sure that very few people can have access to dignity. And that project is continuing because the powers that be were not told that you need to change. You need to change the way that the economy works. We need to change the way that we view work in this country. So somebody who's digging for gold, gold, actual gold, and all, let's even re remove gold, coal, which I now view as gold. Somebody who's digging for coal in our country. We know that coal is being exported to different places around the world. Is that wealth going to that miner who is paying? Or is the bonus going to go to the CEO of that mining company? These are the ways that we view work. And our government is exactly the same. They are exactly the same. They will tell you, I've been in war rooms that are led by government who will say that young people are entitled, that young people don't want to work. They say this verbatim. We are entitled and we do not want to work. Yet we are literally sitting in the war rooms. And then when I bring up a universal basic income grant, that's, 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 that's the response I get. How dare you? How dare you do that? On top of then bad-mouthing activists who are actually doing the work and making sure that government realizes how dire the situation is. 
we have officials who are from our government who are saying this is simply not true. Or they are saying that a, universe, a universal basic income grant is only going to benefit those who are just simply calling for it. How? I do not know. But the attitudes of people within our, with, who are our leaders needs to change because they are so out of touch. They are out of touch with what is happening on the ground. They are out of touch with what is happening with young people. And they are out of touch with what is happening with ordinary South Africans because they are no longer ordinary South Africans. They belong to that privileged 10% that is earning money and earning a consistent salary. We have a minister in the presidency, Mondle Kungubelu, who has the audacity to go onto television and say that he has to pay 10,000 rands for medical aid. And then when questioned, why do you not use public health systems like what every other ordinary South African has to do, he laughed in our faces. It was a joke to him. And that is how we need to see ourselves in the eyes of these leaders. We are a joke. We are not taken seriously by them. And it is, it's, it's in that space, in that very privileged bubble that they exist in, that they make political decisions. And this is why these political decisions are not meaningful on the ground. This includes the SDR grants. This includes the reasons why it is that they even stopped the SDR grant, which then led to the July riots that we saw in KZN. And then it was implemented right back up again. But Black Sash warned them. They told them. Spy even warned them. They told them this is going to happen. Yet they did not listen. The research is there. It's there. It exists. But they are not going to listen because it does not benefit the project of retaining power. And so it actually benefits them. And I've heard this argument before that young people not voting actually benefits those in power. And on that argument, I will, I will concede in that, yes, on some level, our not showing up to that space and entering that space does benefit those who are in power. But at the same time, when you look at the political decisions that are made, and particularly about grants and the way that grants and budgets in general have just been slashed across our government. Our government won't say that they are you know, putting forward austerity measures, but it's, it's austerity all, all but a name. And that affects us. But because these decisions are made, in, 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 in these small, tiny spaces, a, a room as, as small as this one that we're in right now, very, very few people. We're going to see a UBIG not be implemented. And so when they go out and they campaign for votes, which is what they will do, they will, they will do that. And somebody will bring up the universal basic income grants, as they usually do. We will hear promises of we will extend the SDR grant we will extend the child grant, but everything else is going to be skirting around actual, meaningful, impactful change. Because if they implement that actual, meaningful, impactful change, there will be a revolution which they will no longer be a part of. 
where they will not be the most powerful because now we will all have access to the economy. We will all be leading dignified lives. We will all be making decisions about the way that we want to see South Africa move, which means, which, which means that there'll be more people that are going to be brought to the table, more people in the decision-making decision processes. More means less power for them. So are you big as power? Are you big as resource? Are you big as access? And having that ticket to access, whoa, people of power don't want that. They don't want that. They don't want the ordinary person to have those privileges that they have because they have, quote unquote, worked really hard for it. So why is it that this person has to be given a, quote unquote, handout? And that is where we are seeing ourselves Ubig is definitely going to be a huge contention, a huge question in this next election, guaranteed, because of COVID-19, because of the food insecurity that we are seeing in this country, because of the unemployment. That is what we are going to be seeing. But it will not be realized by this current ruling party that we have and by the current dispensation and the current way it is that we elect our leaders there will be no change all of it is intertwined all of it is interlinked the lack of resources which means that young people don't see themselves being represented in the political space which means that oh i don't need to be i don't need to be active here because i don't see myself here so why would you vote for somebody whom you don't see yourself in who you do not see representing you and a huge part of that is having access to universal basic income grants or having access to something that will simply make your life a little bit easier. And, and, and really, that's all we ask for is just give us access to the economy, give, a, give us access to what we want access to, not even just the economy, but just whatever we want. Meet us where we are. There is nothing wrong with saying that. But what we will find is we'll have different political parties going around village to village, township to township, and you'll just discover places in South Africa that you never knew existed in this election. Always is the case. You just see people like, how? Y'all are in my village? I saw you guys four years ago. And we're going to see them saying the same things. Oh, we will sort out crime. We will make sure that the police station is open 24 hours, even though it's supposed to be. You know, we're going to build one million houses in Alexandra. Where are those houses? Where are those houses that are being built? We will have universal basic income grants. Mm? Are you though? Or are we going to eventually have to force you? Take you to constitutional court. Which is, uh, honestly speaking, where I see this heading. And in my personal opinion, in my personal opinion, that is where I see us heading. We are going to have to take our governments to court. Because that is the only way that they respond is when they are legally obligated to do something. Heaven forbid you ask them to do their jobs, and that you in general. We have to force them to do that. I hope that I am wrong. I hope that I am wrong. I hope to one day feel that I am represented enough in the electoral in, 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 in election politics that I can actually go up and vote for somebody and feel like I'm proud of voting. But until there is significant change that I can see, especially in those people who are putting their hands up to say that they want to lead, when I can see that change happen, uh, no, 
I'm good to go. Bob's your uncle. I am voting. But until that change happens, I'm going to be with the people who are like, nah, we can't do this. We're not seeing a difference in front of our households. We're not seeing, you know, access to the Internet, which is something that is so huge. And millions of people just don't have access to that. If we're not seeing access to universal basic income grants, if you're not, heck, even just a, not just a grant in general is so difficult to come by because of the means tests. So it goes back to dignity. It'll always go back to dignity until I see dignity return to our people, to young people, to disabled black queer people. I'm out, politically speaking. I'm just going to make sure that I do my part by speaking truth to power by hopefully having Spy invite me to more of these so that I can participate and continue to have a voice. Um, but most importantly, to shine a light on the lack of political will from our political principles in the hope that they will do the right thing. And the right thing and the right step is implementing a universal basic income grant, a universal one, one for everyone to have access to. I honestly believe that that is the first step in making sure that all of our problems in the country will begin to be solved once everybody is on equal footing. Ayanda, Sushi, thank you so much for that. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your insights, the positive disruptor. And you've certainly challenged my activism in a really constructive way. Thank you. Thank you to Kutso and Amakhle for being part of this podcast and to Solid Gold Studios. And this is another of the SPY podcasts in the series Unpacking Basic Income Grant. Thank you. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.